I just want to share a couple of verses of scripture here before I start. And the first one is in Proverbs 3, a well-known verses, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And that's just a little verse. The night I got saved, the next morning someone gave me a Bible with those two verses on it. And that has been so precious down through the years. And then another little verse, it's in John 14, verse 23. And it said, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. I'm just going to read that wee verse again. It says, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And you know, to me, the secret of a Christian life is just to fall in love with Jesus. And if we fall in love with Jesus, it makes a difference in our lives. He comes, it says, on the bows and stays with us. And what a difference Jesus makes in our lives. You know, just to give a little bit of my background, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, but I was brought to Sunday school. I was brought to church, and I hated it. And, you know, you used to get punished. If you didn't behave yourself, you were in the choir, and I was in every choir going. And I just hated Sunday school, and I thought, you know, I remember we had to learn catechisms, and I learned this ten catechisms. I knew nothing about it. And after I learned it, um, I went to the minister and you said your ten catechisms. And I thought, I learned them, I knew them. I thought you got something. And when I went back to my Sunday school teacher, I says to her, what do you get? She says, you get another ten. I says, what catechism? To learn. And I said to my friend, I don't know about you, but I'm not learning another ten. I go to school to learn, and even that, that I can't stay in school, but I'm not going to Sunday school to learn catechisms. So her and I matched every Sunday. And we used to go to different places. And one day, I was up this man's orchard stealing these apples. And he came out. And I jumped over the wall. And the car came along. And that was the last of my Sunday school days. Or sorry, of, of Mitchin. And I was sent along to church. And I used to fall asleep in church. And I really had no time for God. Because I thought God was somebody who was pie high up in the sky. And he really wasn't interested in me. And the sad thing is, I met a lot of Christians. And the Christians that I met and I knew... To me, they didn't show forth Jesus' love, and they didn't let me know that I wanted to be like them. And, you know, I got involved in a little gang in, in Portadown, but it came the Bay City Rollers. I was a Bay City Roller fan, and I dressed like the Bay City Rollers, and nobody had the gear that I had, because my friend could do so on, and we had, these young ones wouldn't understand that, but years ago you had uh, sheets, white sheets for your bed, well, we nicked some of these white sheets and made white trousers with the red tartan and even a wee heart. And nobody had these clothes. And I went to the Sandy Road in Belfast and got the shirt and the jumper. And the Saturday night we'd go to the discos and I'd have my tartan uh, scarf on and the cigarette. And I thought I was great. And it was great fun. And so we had a little gang in the port of down. And I would say to you, we weren't that bad. But I went down to the tunnel and threw stones at the Catholics and they would have threw stones back at us and different things. But you know... God sent a policeman to me. And you know, in those days with the troubles, there was always policemen about. And God sent this policeman to me and he said to me, you know, Colette, you need to get away from this crowd because it's not a good crowd. And I used to say to him, you know, it's only a bit of fun, a bit of carrying on. But you know, every week I was there, he seemed to come in and drag me from the crowd and talk to me. And I noticed that one minute I was in with the crowd and I was standing with him talking and I discovered then that I liked talking to him and he would tell me that it was time to get away from this crowd 
But you know, one day we got the news that Andy Bird, who was the first policeman in Portadown, was killed during the Troubles. And we uh, heard that he had died during the Troubles. And I remember, I didn't know much about God, but I knew that this man had something that was different. And I knew that this man was special. And he had made an effort in my life, and had an imprint in my life. And you know, people that are policemen today, and I don't know if anybody here is a policeman or listening to the sound of my voice, but you know, you have an important job if you know Jesus, and that is to touch the young people for the Lord. And you know, it makes a difference, because I know the impact that he had on our lives. And you know, um, God sent down a minister, a pastor, he came along to us, and he said, would you like to go to a meeting? And I says, what kind of a meeting, a gospel meeting? I said, oh, no time for them, no. But he said it was a Thursday night, and I thought, if I go to his house on a Thursday night, I don't have to go then anywhere else, or this other place I had to go to. So I went to his house on a Thursday night. It was great. It was young people the same age. We had no interest in God. We only had interest in, in, in what this school was going to go to that night, or the following week. And we used to come to his meetings, and he would be singing and preaching, and we didn't really listen to him. And maybe the door would open, and the fellow would run in, and the pastor would say to me, Clip, what's going on? And we'd say, the police is looking after that, running after that fellow. Don't worry, if he runs through your house, the police will not catch him. And I remember the, police, uh, the pastor with his, had his eyes opened and really wide open. And he thought, what is going on with these young people? But you know, he, he stayed with us and he kept preaching to us. And you know, um, half the times I never listened to him. But one night he says, Clip, I'm going to a meeting in Bangor. Would you like to go? And I was doing nothing. And he brought me to this meeting in Bangor. And this young fellow was giving his, what was his testimony. And I remember when he started to talk, when I looked at him, I knew there was something different about his life, but I didn't know what it was. And I asked the pastor, what was it? And he told me that you, how you needed to accept Jesus into your life as Savior and Lord. And I knew that he had something different. And God was moving in my life. And that night I gave my heart to the Lord. And you know, when I came to the Lord, I was a rough diamond in the hands of God. But God had to chip the pieces away bit by bit. But you know, um, we had... We went to his, the pastor, he's opened his house for, for us that got saved. There was nothing that got saved around about that time. And he opened his, in his house and he began to teach us the word of God. Now he didn't get an easy time because he used to say you have to love everybody. And I used to say to him, get yourself on. There's people you couldn't like them if you've heard them. And you, you don't have to love everybody. But I didn't understand what he was talking about two years later. But he showed with us that you have to love people. But he said this to me, he says, you know, Colette, when God saves you, he gives you a talent. And it's up to you to find out what your talent is. And I thought, I don't have any talent. I have nothing special to give God. He says, what do you like to do? And I thought, I like to, to sing pop music. He says, will you pray and ask the Lord to open the door for singing? And I really thought he was crazy. Like, But a week later, he came to me and he says, Colette, somebody is looking at back and vocal for a gospel song and they're advertising gospel group, would you go? So he brought me to Canary Orange Hall, and I thought the command wasn't wise, but he brought me to the hall to do an audition. And I says to him, like, you think I was Tommy Wynette to hear you? But I went, and a couple of days later, they asked me to join the Emmanuel group. And I joined the Emmanuel group. And um, I remember our first night was in Portadown Town Hall on the stage. And in those days, the curtains were due, and then they opened the curtains, and then the audience you started to sing. And we were singing with me and McKay in the Genesis at that time. And um, I remember whenever the curtain opened and I saw all this crowd, I thought, what am I standing up here? I don't like this. This is not for me. So after the first night, I said I wouldn't come back again because I didn't like everybody looking at me. And I was a shy person. But unknown to me, McKay, Mary came over to me and she talked to me and she encouraged me because she knew it was her first night. 
And that had an impact on my life because I thought, why would Mary McKay come over to liking me? But, you know, that spoke to me. And she, uh, it helped me then to go on with the group. And, you know, the pastor then left Porta Down, and I was left on my own because I had no other Christian friends. And uh, when he left, that's when I had to lean on God. And I remember in my bedroom one night saying to the Lord, I wish, Lord, you could come down and sit in my bed and I'll talk to you. And then I remember what the pastor said. He says, you know, collect God's everywhere. And I says, well, Lord, if you're everywhere, you're in my bedroom. So I learned to talk to God. And I would tell God my problems. And next thing I would be reading the word of God, and God would speak to me through it. And that would blow my mind. And God gave me a little verse years ago in Philippians uh, to uh, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. And I said to God, everything, Lord? He says, pray for everything, even the small things, yes. And that verse became so precious to me that I told God everything. And you know, it was even more precious as the years would go on that God would know how much I would need those verses in my life. And you know, he's a God who's interested in us. And he's a very, very personal God. And that blew my mind that he was interested in me. That this God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob was still interested in me and the little things in my life. So I began then to trust him. But it took me many, many years, to 10 years I think it was, before I believed that God really loved me and cared about me. And you know, then um, I got involved in the Lord's work. And there were young people today that know Jesus in this meeting. It's so important to get involved in the Lord's work and to serve God and to be encouraged. But I got involved in the coffee bean and poured it down. And it was the coffee bar. And then when I was in it one day, I seen a magazine where it talked about the London City Mission. And I thought, I would like to go to the London City Mission. And I went to the London City Mission in the summertime. And it was absolutely amazing. And I went to Cardboard City to watch the men put the cardboard at night time um, to go to sleep. And they brought me to this soup kitchen and they brought me to meet the king of the tramps. And, you know, it was a completely different world. This man had all these medals that he was the king of the tramps. And he came in to me and he sat down and he says, I'm the king of them all. And he started to tell me all about the work. And I says to him, well, I'm here to tell you about the king of kings and the lord of lords. And God gave us a wonderful opportunity in London. I went back for three summers. And in the last summer, I said to the Lord, you know, Lord, I want to stay here because the need was so great. Take everything I have and I'm going to stay here. And, you know, God gave me a verse. And Stephen doesn't know this, but Stephen gave me a little uh, verse of scripture for coming here tonight. And it was in Mark 5. And it says, uh, go home and tell your friends the good things I have told you, uh, done for you. And when God told me that in London, I says, I don't want to go home, Lord, I want to stay here. And God says, go home. I says, Lord, I want to stay. And I kind of huffed with God. And I went back home, but I wasn't happy going back home because I really had a desire for London. And when I went back home, I was home about a month, and one of the missionaries from London came over when we were taking a meeting together. And I was telling him how I felt. He says, Claire, if God's calling you to London, you'll have a desire to come. And if not, the desire will go away. And of course, it was God's will for me to stay at home and to tell people. So God brought me around um, all different places in Northern Ireland, the north of the south. And you know, I believe God has a sense of humour because I was asked to sing in Arklow. And uh, the guy rang me up and he says, Claire, we only have 20 or 30 at our church. And I says, well, I don't worry too much about numbers. He says, would you mind if we put Sister Colette from Portadown Sings? I think you're a nun from Portadown. And I laughed. I says, that's okay, go ahead. When we got to the church, the church was bunged out. All these people came to hear this little nun from Portadown. 
But you know, what an opportunity to tell whether they're Protestants or Catholic, no matter what they are, about Jesus. And what a wonderful opportunity that we had. I then got involved in the Lighthouse um, Ministries. Well, that's where I met your elder Roy McFarland. I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> but, you know, I met Roy, and we had some wonderful times together in the Lighthouse. And, you know, Ian taught us there the importance of prayer. And he would have all-night prayer meetings. And, you know, even the lifeboat here reminds us so much of the Lighthouse of our days there, where we had all-night prayer meetings, where we went out in the street uh, to do outreach on the street. We went house to house. And we went to the Highland Games in Scotland. And, you know, we had a tremendous time of telling people about Jesus. And uh, Ian would put the microphone up and say, right, let's sing. It holds for seven miles. And we used to think he exaggerates. But, you know, what amazing time that we had. And I remember, you know, uh, we went on a Sunday. You'd be given to go to somebody's house for your dinner because we slept in the church in a sleeping bag on the floor. And the girls slept in one room and the boys were in the other room. And on the Sunday you got a treat. You went to somebody's house or there was a hotel that you could go to. And I remember looking at the list, and there was this hotel. Three people could go to the hotel. And I says, I'm going to the hotel, because you get your meal right away, and you could eat three puddings. So I said, right, I'll go to the hotel. So Ian came in, he says, right, here's the list. And he read everybody's name out, and I didn't get to the hotel. And at the end of the list, my name wasn't called out. And in the lighthouse, I didn't get collect. My name was Peggy Sue. Don't ask me why, but my name was Peggy Sue. And Ian says, no, Peggy Sue, I have a, somewhere for you to go to. And I says, he's probably going to send me to a five-star hotel. But he came over and he says, Claire, I want to send you to this wee woman. She has depression. And I looked at him and I says, I'm looking for dinner. I don't want a woman. I want my dinner. He says, I'm looking for dinner. Another woman has depression. He says, I want you to send her to this house and this woman has depression. She'll make you your dinner too. So I wasn't really happy about it, but I went to this woman's house. And, you know, God really spoke to me. This woman started to share her problems. And God spoke to me about this woman. And I had an amazing time with this woman. And it blew my mind how God allowed me to share with this woman. And, you know, afterwards I came back and Ian says, how did you get on? And I thought, you know, Ian, God spoke to me. He says, I, I thought he would. And he said, I was never one of these ones to do something for God. God always had to throw me in the deep end. And if God had said to me, Claire, I want you to do this, that, and the other, it's not that I wouldn't have done it for him. I never believed I had the ability to do things. And when I was at school, my teachers used to say, Claire, you'll end up nowhere. My English teacher used to say to me, you, you know, English is a disaster, and it was. And when I was writing the wee notes out for here tonight, I said, you know, Lord, I wrote more notes out for here than I did for my English uh, GCSE. That's probably why I failed it. But, you know, God is a wonderful God because he's not interested in your ability, but he's interested in your availability for him. And I hadn't much to give God, and I had a speech problem. When I was young, I had a hearing problem. And the joke in our house is, I never wore my hearing aid half the time. And you know what I done? I had to pop it out before I came up here today in case it squeals. And I have a, um, had a bad hearing problem when I was eight. And it led into a speech problem. And then, I, it never was a problem until I started to serve God. And I said to God, I'll sing for you, Lord, but I'll never speak for you. And I used to say, you know, if you, if you touched me from this, I could do something for you. But then, you know, God led me then to sing. The group folded up, and I still wanted to sing for God. And I says, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? And the Lord led me to sing on my own. And it took me three months to say yes. But when I said yes, I kept saying, Lord, you know the speech problem. And, you know, I just went as God led me. And, you know, I was with um, a couple of girls just a couple of months ago. And one of the girls came up, and she knew me from years ago. And the first thing she said was, Claire, I can't hear your speech problem where I used to hear it. And, you know, if our failures are put in the hands of God, they become blessings for him. 
And God, whatever you have in, in your life, if you give it over to God, no matter what it is, all your failures, he makes them to become blessings for him. You know, whenever I was praying for a husband, I said to the Lord, now, I don't care a lot if he's purple her, pink her, or green her. Please, Lord, don't let him be a farmer and don't let him be a quiet man. And God has a sense of humor because, as you know, John is a farmer and he's the quietest man that God ever put in two feet. And, you know, uh, we got married, but he was the right man for me. And, you know, I used to say to the Lord, a farmer, Lord, but, you know, God knows exactly more than we know ourselves what we need. And the years that lie ahead, he knew that John would be the right person for me. And he would be the one that would push me out. You know, whenever I'm up in July and August, when it comes September time, I'll say to John, I think, John, I could just sit back in the tire now. And he just looks at me and he always says, well, you just talk to the Lord and see what the Lord says. And during the COVID, he said to me, what are you going to do now that the meetings, he can't get to meetings? And I says, I'll have a cup of tea and a bar of chocolate. He says, no, you won't. You'll do it over the, over the video. And I had to struggle with that because I'm not one for Facebook and things like that uh, and people taking your pictures. And um, whenever we came to release a CD, I remember Alec Richardson rang me up and he says, Clet, could I video it? And I says, no. And that was the end of the conversation. And John says, bring that man back and tell him he can. So I rang him back and I says, I'm sorry, uh, you can. He says, that's good because the Lord told me that I have to video. But, you know, it's just some people are quiet or shy. We all have our different personalities. But, you know, the thing about God is he loves us the way that we are and we're all different personalities and we're all different. But here's what I love about the Lord. When I became a Christian, my biggest fear was that the Christian life would be boring because I used to see people going around and I used to say, if that's Christianity, I'm sorry. I don't want to have what they have because it looks so boring. And you know, I think the Christian life should be an exciting life because God says I give you joy unspeakable and full of, of glory. And he gives us joy in our lives and I think we should get excited about him. And I don't know what you're like, but I like to get up in the morning and say, right, Lord, there's one morning I get up and I say, right, Lord, if you want to excite me, shock me tonight or today, that's okay. And I went to pour down car park and I was putting my money into the wee machine that wasn't working. And when I turned around, this man was walking towards me and I said, I'm sorry, but the machine's not working. He says, what will we do now? I says, there's a machine over here. So we walked uh, over to it. And as we were walking over, we were talking away and I mentioned something about God. And the man said to me, you know, there's something that holds me back. And he says, and you would think it's foolish, but he says, you wouldn't understand what it's like. And I says, tell me your story then. And I'm not going to tell you your story tonight, but he told me the story. And, you know, when he finished his story, he says, now you know, but he says, you wouldn't understand. And I says to him, I'm smiling here because here's why. The God that I serve is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's a very personal God. And I says, your story, I says, I understand your story because my story is exactly the same. And I shared my story with him. And that man had tears in his eyes. And he said this to me. He says, you know, Clet, I believe, and this was a man who's not saved, I believe that this was a divine appointment from God this morning. And I says, you're right. And you know, I believe that that's what our lives are, are for, touching people's lives for God. And it's not about standing in the pulpit and things, it's touching individuals for the Lord, planting a little seed. And you know, can I encourage you this morning or today to plant a little seed? When was the last time you shared, your, shared about Jesus to your brothers, your sisters, your friends, even your neighbors? And it's so important that we're the only Jesus that some will ever see. There are people who will never walk into a church, but they'll see you and they'll read your testimony. You know, as I got married, we got married in 1991. 
And John says, we'll have 13 children. And I says, that's great. I'll have the first three and you have the next 10. So we had three fantastic, amazing children. And I have to say that because two of them are here today. But we had uh, three children. Rebecca was born 1993, Matthew 1994, and Rachel was born 1998. And, you know, I had great children. And I thank God for them. And uh, Rachel, say, after I had Matthew, I went job sharing. I worked in Marlborough House in the road service, and I went uh, job sharing. And uh, I was back to work with Rachel just a couple of days. I was heading on my way to work, and I noticed in my windscreen a little dash, you know, as if somebody hit the stone in the windscreen. And I remember saying, I'll have to tell John when I get home about the windscreen. And when I got home uh, to work, I realized it was coming from my eye. And uh, I thought, well, I'll leave it till tomorrow to go to the doctor's. And I went to the doctor's. I couldn't see out of my eye. And when I went to the doctor's the next morning, um, I said to him, I can't see out of my eye. And he says, oh, you mean you've got a vision? But when he looked at my eye, he kind of jumped back. And he says, Claire, I think your uh, retina is split in two, and I think you've left it too long. And I think it, we don't know where we'll be able to save your sight. So we were in emergency to the Royal. They tested me for different things, and to cut a long story short, they brought me to the eye specialist. And he says, Clet, a young woman doesn't lose her eyesight completely within 24 hours, but you have. And I can't understand why. They brought me into the Royal for five days and put me on storage through the IV. And he says, hopefully it'll come back again. And the eyesight came back again, and they let me home again. And he thought, just hopefully it was just something to look. They didn't know what it was. But six months later... I started having pains in my arm, my back, and I dropped things out of my hand, and I had to go back to the hospital. So to cut a long story short, I was diagnosed with MS, and uh, that was uh, 1998, like 2002. And to cut a long story short, it changed our lives completely. Uh, we lived in the Royal. We were back and forth in the Royal. I spent a lot of time in bed. And uh, it affected my eyes. It affects the right side of my arms and legs. And uh, there would be days where I got out of bed and I couldn't. My, my legs was completely gone and I would just fall and get back to, to bed again. Um, it was a difficult time for us as a family, for John and the children, because John, a farmer, we had a six-month-old child, a four-year-old and a five-year-old. But, you know, at the same time, too, God was there with us. And I remember God telling me not to make MS as an excuse not to sing for him. And, you know, um, I remember with the children... I'd never wanted it to be a big thing for our children. So we treated it like a headache. And whenever um, I had to go to bed, I would say to the children, I'd have to go to bed. If anybody rings, take a message. And that would be the way it would be treated. And I was always treated like that. But, you know, there were days to describe it. When you're tired, it was as if somebody had drained the blood and I couldn't get from one seat to the other. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's something I never really like to talk about. And uh, I've known your testimony there. Um, Whenever you're up the street, people will say, um, oh, you look, you don't look as if you've MS, you look fine and all the rest of it. But we, um, went for the treatment. There was treatment available at that time and you had to be on a waiting list. We were on a waiting list 14 months and then we got the treatment. And I get the treatment. I'm on the treatment now 18 years. I get the treatment on a Monday night. And once you get the treatment, it takes me about two days to get back to normal again because of the side effects that it has. Um, it gives you like flu-like symptoms and a clump in your head. And um, as if somebody had thrown me into the freezer, I don't know how to describe it. And sometimes the, the side effects, they are not too good, but it's something that I have to be on for life. And um, you have your good days, your bad days, and we learn to live with it. I had to give up my job. And it's something that you can't predict because I don't know whether I'll be okay tomorrow or whatever. But, you know, it was something that I didn't want 
to uh, be at the front of my life, they're at the back of my life and we cope with it. And you know, there again, John, so that everything fell on him. And you know, he proved himself that he was the right man for me because he brought us through as a family. And the children too were brilliant. And you know, God spoke to me recently about this and he says, you know, Claire, all things work together for good. And so many times I was caught up with the children, with John, thinking about them and how they would cope with this and one thing or another. But God says, you know, Claire, I looked after the children through it all. And so he did. And I believe that my children never turned out the way they did, only through what they came through, because they learnt kindness. And not only that, the joke in our house too would be, um, I would say, tell them, if I can't, if I have to go to bed, take a wee message. And they used to make a wee song of it. Yes, we know because mummy has AMS. And that's the way it was treated lightly. But you know, at Christmas time there, um, we had uh, the children home. We're all home. And I noticed my eyesight was dropping. And I said to John, I can see half of your face, but the other half I can't. And of course, our children said, get to bed. And, and John says, get to bed. And I was laughing because it's so just lightheartedly. And that's the way it is. And that's the way I like it to be. Um, we went to... Um, the Four Seasons Hotel one night, and I said to John, I believe that God wants me to share about, the, about um, my MS. And I shared about that night, and there was a young woman there, this was a Friday night, on the Wednesday she was diagnosed with cancer. And she says, I came to the meeting tonight, I didn't know how I was going to cope. We haven't told anybody, but when you mentioned, it was as if God was right beside us. And you know, I left the hotel that night, and I said to John, to have MS just to touch one person's life for the Lord is worth it all. You know, in 2010, I noticed a little mark and I went to the doctors and he said, nothing wrong with the clip. And then, um, but a week later I said to John, I just feel there's something not right here. And I went back to the doctors and he says, examine me. He says, there's nothing here, Clip, but I'll send you. If you're concerned, I'm going to send you over. So they sent me to the mandible unit. And the mandible unit, um, the doctor says, Clip, why are you here? Because you don't have a lump, you don't have anything. Why are you here? And I told him, and I says, I just don't feel there's something, something not right. And then he says to me, do you think you have cancer? I says, I do. So anyway, I cut long story short, they've done the test, and he says, I think you're right. I think you have a tumour inside. So I had to go for surgery, and then I had to come back. They didn't get all of it, and I had to go for the second surgery. And um, then we had to go to see about the chemo. And I says to John, don't you go, because it's what they're only going to say it to me, and they're going to go talk to me. So when I got there that day, they said, we don't know about the chemo, we have to speak to your MS consultant, so come back next week with John and we'll speak to you. So we went back the following week and they said, look, I'm sorry, there's what sometimes is what's called a special case, you don't want to be a special case, but you're a special case this time, and we don't know if we give you the chemo, what, how you'll react to it, so we're making the decision that you and John have to decide whether you take chemo or not. So we went home and we decided that we would pray about it, and then on the Tuesday, don't talk about it during the week, just pray about it. And then on the Monday, we would talk about it and then go back to the consultant on the Tuesday. And I remember that night, we, uh, that week, whole week, we prayed about it. And the Monday night, I said to John, John says, I feel that God said not to go for the chemo. And I says, that's the way I feel. So we went back and we said we weren't going for the chemo. And the consultant said, can I ask why? And I told him, but we prayed for it, prayed about it. And I, I told him that God had our lives in, the, in his hands, but we knew that God was saying no. So we had to go for six weeks uh, radiotherapy. When we went down the first day, this girl walked in, and she could have won a competition for her beauty. She, she was so beautiful. And she sat down. And there was just something about it, but she came over to me, and she said, I recognize you from somewhere. And we got talking. 
And God gave me five weeks with that girl to tell her about Jesus. And I gave her my CD and we got talking to her. And, you know, she died then about another two months later. And, you know, whenever you're in the radiotherapy, whenever you're getting treatment, you realize the song says one day at a time. Outside doesn't matter anymore. It's just in there that matters. And you look around, you see so many people. And I said to John, people are going home. Some of them are going home. And I, and I said, you know, some of these people will not make it. And, you know, my friend didn't make it. And, you know, it makes you realize that life is so short. And I remember saying, Lord, don't let me forget what I've learned in here. Did not to take things for granted. And, you know, God gave us opportunity after opportunity. We had just released a CD about, right about that time. And God gave us opportunity of, of giving the people the CDs, even the people we met in the hospital. And I believe that God had us there for a time as this. You know, I read something there. It said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And, you know, God will put us where he wants us to be to reach the loss for him. And, you know, he is an amazing God, and I thank him for all that he's brought us through. And we couldn't have done anything without the Lord. And, you know, even whenever we heard about the cancer, that night when we had to go back and see all the doctors, I remember saying to John, there's enough in this room that could eat you. There were so many of them. But whenever I came out that night, John gave me my treatment, and I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and my Bible was sitting on top of the stairs, and I lifted my Bible, and I says, Lord, I've listened to what the, the doctors and everyone says here tonight, but what do you say about it? And God led me to Lamentations 3.57, where it says, When I drew near, I said, Fear not. And when I read the word, Fear not, God reminded me of the disciples when they were on the boat on the storm. And Jesus was in the hinder part of the boat. And they forgot that he was there, but he was there in the storm with them. And God spoke to me as clear as crystal that night, and he says, Clad, I'll go with you in the storm. And he's with us in our storm, and he has been with us in many other storms in our lives. And maybe you're going through a storm tonight, and you don't know what way to turn. God is with you, and he will be with you in the storm. And I want to just close before I'm through off this pulpit here tonight. And, you know, it's just um, our journey, everybody of our journey is different, but we're all going home that know the Lord. And along that journey, God called us to meet different people and to reach out to them. And I wonder, are you reaching out to people here tonight? And whatever you have, whatever talent that you have, give it to the Lord, and he'll use it to his glory. He's a faithful God. And, you know, there's this we say, says, some people die not knowing the Savior. Others leave a question mark behind. Some who once walked with the Lord finish their days in barrenness of his glory. May our time on earth be a blessing, to be a testimony to the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may our desire always be to hear Jesus say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant.